So we're in 1 Thessalonians, and we're in the section, and it's a lengthy one and a complicated one, that deals with the second coming of Jesus Christ. So chapter 4, verse 13, all the way to chapter 5, verse 11. And Paul had to give clear teaching on the return of Jesus because there was confusion in the church of Thessalonica. The believers, to their credit, thought that Jesus would return in their lifetime. And so a number of them said, there's no point working. He's going to come any day. So let's just wait. Let's just sit and wait. And Paul says, that's very wrong. That's very wrong. And also, of course, they were worried about those believers that had already died. Would they miss out during the second coming? Now, we're going to move to chapter 5 this evening, and we're just going to make a slow start. In the section in chapter 4 on the second coming, Paul is comforting the believers concerning their loved ones who've already died. Those who believe have fallen asleep in Jesus, they're not going to miss out during the second coming. They are going to come with him. They're going to be raised and they're going to come with him in the procession. Now in chapter 5, he's looking at another issue to do with the second coming. So this isn't to do with those who've already died, but those who are still alive and the fear they have of the day of judgment. Are you afraid of the day of God's judgment? I am. You should be. A few months ago, talking to Jeremy in the ward in Royal Glamorgan, I remember him saying, the prospect of eternity ahead of him. We are all standing before eternity. We don't know how long we've got. And we're thinking now, not so much of our death, but of this greater event, the second coming of Jesus Christ, that momentous event. So in chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, Paul is seeking uh, to uh, comfort uh, these believers regarding the fears they may have about how will I be able to stand on that great day? And notice how he ends each section. Did you notice in the reading? Verse 18 of the previous chapter, therefore comfort one another with these words. How does he end? Chapter 5, verse 11, therefore comfort each other. That's what Paul wants to do with the doctrine of the second coming. He is not trying to be controversial. He doesn't want to tickle our ears with fancy theories and isms about the second coming. That's why you're going to be disappointed if you're expecting me to deal with pre, a, post, millennialism. And you're going to be even more disappointed if you're expecting me to deal with dispensationalism and rapture, whether it's pre-tribulation post-tribulation, secrets. I've got lost myself now. That, that's not the point. 
The point is that we are to be comforted. So if we are afraid of the day of judgment, how can we be prepared for it? That's what Paul is doing. I like the way Stotts put it. In chapter 4, the topic was bereavement and the Christian dead. In chapter 5, it is judgment and the Christian living. And it's a very complicated section. What do you do with the complicated portion of Scripture? What do you do with it? What do you do with anything complicated? I remember as a boy, and since English is my second language, I still have to do this. If you come across a big word, what do you do with it? You break it into little pieces. With a complicated portion of Scripture, you break it into little pieces. Uh, so rather than trying to eat it all in one uh, gulp, uh, you cut it into manageable pieces. Now look at chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And it naturally divides into three. I'm saying that not because I'm a preacher, but because that's how the text divides. So Paul says, but, concerning the times and the seasons. And then if you look at verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. And then if you look at verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober. So those are the three sections, verses 1 to 3, 4, verses 3, 4 to 8, and then verse 8 to the end. Each section starts with a but. And what Paul is also doing here, he's telling us how not to prepare negatively and how to prepare for the day of judgment. So throughout this, how not to do it, how we are to get ourselves ready uh, and I don't want to say anything more there's a lot of interesting things going on in the detail but if you're interested read some of the commentaries John Stott's uh, in the Bible speaks today is very helpful uh, and uh, they might bring certain things out if you're interested so before we look at how not to prepare and how to prepare in the first four verses of chapter 5, we just need to look first at the comments, the phrase, the day of the Lord. Did you notice that? For you yourselves know, verse 2 perfectly, that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then verse 4, you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day, capital D, this is a phrase that we've got to look at first. The day of the Lord. What does it mean? Incidentally, next Sunday, God willing, we are children of the day, capital D. What is the day of the Lord? Well, it's another way of saying the second coming of Jesus Christ. Greer called it that momentous event, that day. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, let me read some very important references Amos, that shepherd prophet from the northern kingdom, he spoke of the day of the Lord. This was many centuries before the Apostle Paul. If you look in your Bibles at Amos chapter 5, try and keep up with me now, if you've got a Bible. Try and keep up with me. It's easy for me because I've got it written down. <laughs> 
but it's an useful exercise. This phrase, day of the Lord, it uh, speaks of old covenants. And let me read Amos 5.20. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? No wonder these Christians needed comfort. And then Zephaniah, he goes into even more detail concerning the day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. Now, some of the things we've been looking at regarding the second coming in Thessalonians, listen to what Zephaniah says and see how you've got things Paul mentions and he's taken them from the Old Testament. So, Zephaniah warned about the great day of the Lord. Zephaniah 1, 14, a day of ruin a uh, devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast. We've come across some of those things, the trumpets, the clouds. And then, of course, the most famous reference. If this was a Bible study, I'd ask you for the answer. What's the most well-known reference in the Old Testament concerning the day of the Lord? It was even repeated in the first sermon preached by the church in Acts chapter 2. It's the book of Joel, isn't it? Joel talks in chapter 1, verse 15, about the day of the Lord being near. And then Joel chapter 2, verse 1, the day of the Lord is coming. And then when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost, and having been baptized with the Holy Spirit to such an extent that the people in Jerusalem thought he was drunk. He said, we are not drunk. We are filled with the Holy Spirit as the prophet Joel prophesied. And then in Acts 2 verse 17, Peter says, before the day of the Lord comes, quoting from Joel, that great and awesome day, all of this has come to pass as a result of the prophecy of Joel. It's happening before the second coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the day of the Lord, used throughout the Old Testament, and in the context of the Old Testament, the day of the Lord spoke about God intervening into history, God judging his people, judging nations. And at the same time, what was judgment to unbelievers was salvation to believers. Like Noah's flood. Noah's flood was judgment to the world, but it was salvation, wasn't it? To those in the ark. But listen, my friends, all of those interventions were dress rehearsals for that final day of judgments. And even the things we have seen in the last 2,000 years, it's the last days. Between the first and the second coming of Jesus is the last days. And Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes. There'll be famine. All the things that we have seen in the history of the world, the last 2,000 years, all of these, in a way, are preparing for that great and dreadful day, the apocalypse, when it won't be just a region 
as we've seen in South Turkey and uh, Syria. But the whole world will be destroyed. Now, if you've got any ounce of spiritual sense, you will be afraid, won't you? Of that day, the day of judgments. So Peter, uh, in his second letter, speaks of the day of the Lord, bringing it in with the second coming. Let me quote from Second Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Wow! When Noah's flood occurred, the fountains opened from under the earth as well as the rain falling from the heavens. But on this day, the crust of the earth will not just crack as happens in an earthquake, but the crust will completely be destroyed. The old order will be done away with. The earth will burn with fire that's a way of saying it will be destroyed and there will be a new heaven and a new earth for God's people it will be the dawn of a new day for those who are unbelieving it will be the start of eternal nights the day of the Lord this is how one 19th century commentator put it I think the end of the 19th century was a time of optimism, wasn't it, in this country? People were looking forward to the 20th century. I don't know why. Brave new world. Until two world wars shattered that illusion. This is how a 19th century commentator put it. Now it is man's day. The day of man's ambition, man's pleasures, man's judging, man's glory, and God is not in all his thoughts. How great the change from this to the day of the Lord. Then the lofty, the high looks of men shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted on that day. There's a hymn, we haven't sung it since I've been here. Great, I don't know if you older folk will know it. Great God, what do I see and hear? The end of things created. Do you know that hymn? The end of things created. The judge of mankind doth appear on clouds of glory seated. The trumpet sounds, the graves restore the dead, which they contained before and this is how the verse ends prepare my soul to meet him prepare my soul to meet him very well then the day of the lord two things before we're done how not to prepare just in the first few verses now of 1 thessalonians 5 and how to prepare and then we'll sing a hymn and we'll go into the after meeting so how we are not to prepare dear me Times and seasons. The church hasn't learned her lesson at all in the last 2,000 years. Listen to Paul writing to the first century church. 
He's writing as a loving pastor. He calls them brothers. And he says, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. If only the church had listened to that. Times, chronos, period of time, seasons, kairos, specific... Uh, sorry, I got it the wrong way around. Uh, yeah, time, chronos, period of time, seasons, points of time. It's normal, isn't it? If you want to prepare for an important visit, you want to know when they're coming. Um, I've got my parents coming uh, next weekend, so it's good for me to know that, so I can prepare. I can get the house tidied, I can shave, maybe have my hair cut, so that I don't get into trouble. And we tend to think like that about the second coming of Christ. If only I knew the exact date, I, I can kind of get myself ready. But when it comes to the second coming, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Why am I saying that? Because Jesus himself said to his disciples, remember when Jesus ascended to heaven from the mountain and his disciples before wanted to know, when will he restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to come back, Lord? And do you know what Jesus said to them? Th these words are very important. In Acts 1, it is not for you to know the times or dates. The Father has set by his own authority. So Jesus says, it's the Father who has set the calendar, not you. N now, there's something else which I find quite astounding. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said, no one knows the dates. Not the angels, and listen to this, not even the Son of Man knows. Only the Father knows when Jesus Christ will return. Let me just read to prove it to you. Mark 13, verse 32. But concerning the day, at that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. Why, oh why, do we think we know better? If Jesus himself doesn't know, who are we to decide on the date? Uh, let me give you some examples. When I was in Aberystwyth, there was a good Christian student who was very zealous, but his zeal uh, was going over the top when it came to the second coming. We called him Chris Tapes. Chris Tapes. Do you know why we called him Tapes? Because he loved to listen to tapes. Not of gospel sermons, but of preachers trying to set the date. These preachers would be looking at world events, uh, holding a newspaper in one hand, holding the Bible in the other, and they thought they could predict the dates. No. No. Let me give you some examples. In October 1992, a number of Korean believers expected Christ to return. They sold their possessions, including their homes, and they really expecting that the Lord would return. Do you know what happened? Well, it's obvious. <laughs> he didn't. 
And you know what they did? A number of them committed suicide. And those who didn't got very disillusioned. It has happened again and again. We haven't learned any lessons, have we? From the words of Jesus Christ. Great expectations turns to great disappointments. Not even here in Wales have we been immune. The 1859 revival, Humphrey Jones. Have you heard of Humphrey Jones? David Morgan was the main preacher, but he had a sidekick called Humphrey Jones. And Humphrey Jones really believed... Uh, it wasn't quite the physical second coming, but it's similar. He believed that Jesus would come in the power of his spirit to Aberystwyth, to Pendinas Hill. Do you know the hill with the baseball bat on the top, the chimney? That he would come, and that would usher in the millennium, a time of great blessing. Well, it didn't happen. And Humphrey Jones spent the end of his days in a psychiatric hospital in Carmarthen. We don't prepare by trying to set a date. I hope no one here thinks they know better than the word of God. So how do we prepare? Very quickly, what's the positive? Well, Paul uses two pictures, two metaphors to describe that day of the Lord. What are they? For you yourselves know perfectly, don't you? You know that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Can you predict when you will be burgled? Of course not. That's the whole point about a burglary. It's completely unexpected. And if it happens in the middle of night, it's doubly so. And it'll be like that with... The coming of Jesus Christ. No one will be able to predict. No one will expect it when it comes. I know there are certain things that need to happen before, but that's not the point of the sermon this evening because that's not the point of the Apostle Paul in these verses. What I can say with 100% authority is it will be unexpected. And then there's another picture. The labor pains of a woman who's about to give birth. Maybe this is not unexpected, because if you're pregnant, you know at some point you will go into labor. But from those who have experienced it, they will say it comes suddenly. It's not unexpected, but you know when it comes, and you've got to get yourself to the hospital. Well, your husband will uh, get you to the hospital. So put these two pictures together. What can we say about the day of the Lord and how to prepare for it? It will be sudden and unexpected, like the thief in the night. It will be sudden and unavoidable, no escaping from it, like labor pains. I'm afraid there is no way of giving birth without labor pains. So what do you do? Do you sit all night in the chair by the window on guard in case a thief comes? Of course you don't. What do you do? You prepare. You, um, I don't know, 
you have a burglar alarm fitted. What do you do if you are married and your wife is expecting? How do you prepare? Well, you get some bags ready just in case. You're living in readiness. You don't know when it's going to happen, the labor pains, but you're living in expectancy. And it's a bit like that with the day of the Lord. We don't guess dates. That's a waste of time. It's a waste of spiritual energy. That's what they were doing in Thessalonica. They were stopping their day-to-day work. It was a bad witness. They, They were just sitting there waiting. No. Get on with your life. Get on with your life. But be prepared. Now, how do we do that? Uh, There's something here, isn't there, about, I've mentioned the flood, Noah's flood. Uh, That happened suddenly, didn't it? Uh, Listen to the verses again. You've got to hear the uh, Old Testament here. Uh, This is how Paul puts it. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, when did they say that? They said that during the days leading up to Noah's flood. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. Peace and safety. Who is that crackpot Noah? He, he's lost the plot. Uh, Look at him. Poor Noah was preaching every day, warning people to flee from the judgments, urging people to come to the ark for salvation. How many heeded to him? Only his close family, about eight people. The rest thought that he was crazy. But then once the heavens opened and the earth beneath opened and disaster struck, it was too late. It was too late. It'll be like that. People will be carrying on with their lives. You see, we're not saying we shouldn't carry on with our lives. The key is carrying on being prepared. But the tragedy of the day of the Lord will be people will be doing what they're doing this evening. People will be going out and enjoying themselves. People will be going to watch rugby matches and football matches. People will be going to concerts. People will be speculating on uh, the stock exchange. People will be busy with their daily lives. Busy. People will be enjoying themselves. People will be on holiday. And then suddenly... Destruction will come. And by destruction, it's not annihilation. It means uh, that we are separated from God forever and forever. That's hell. The wrath of God. Did you remember the tsunami? Was it? It was when I started here. 2005, New Year, 2005, the Southeast Asia tsunami. Thailand, a holiday destination. So people were on the beach, just enjoying themselves, and there's nothing wrong with that. And then the only warning they would have had would be the tide suddenly going out, out, so far out. And then the giant wave coming, and there was no escape, no escape. It'll be like that. But not just a little area. It'll be the whole world. The whole world. So the key is not try to fix dates, but 
getting ready. Getting ready. Are you ready? Let me quote some words. I found these helpful. When I was converted, I came across these words. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Are you where you ought to be? Will he know when he sees you? Or will he say, depart from me? When destruction cometh swiftly, and there's no time to say, fare thee well, have you decided whether you want to be in heaven or in hell? Are you ready for the judgments? Are you ready for that terrible swift sword? Are you ready for Armageddon? Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Bob Dylan. Quite sobering words, isn't it? In these verses, there are only two groups. They who are not ready, they who are unbelievers, they who are of the darkness, and you who are believers who are of the day. This congregation is only two groups. Not those of you in the gallery or those downstairs. Not male and female. Not Welsh and other nationalities. Not those with degrees and those who don't have degrees. It is those who are outside of the ark and those who are in the ark. And being in church isn't the same as being in the ark. So how do I get ready as I wind to a conclusion? Well, the first basic preparation, just as in Noah's day, is to give heed to the word of God. Jesus Christ is the only refuge. Have you run to Jesus Christ? When the uh, whole creation crumbles, are you going to be standing on that rock? That's the only place of safety. What is a Christian? A Christian is a person who is in a different position to other people. A Christian isn't a person who is slightly better or who is doing this or doing that. A Christian is a person who's changed position. I once was outside, but now I'm in Jesus Christ. He has taken the wrath of God upon himself instead of me, and I'm safe in him. Are you in Jesus We'll be singing shortly. When he shall come with trumpet sound. What is the preparation? Oh may I then be good enough? Not at all. You'll never be good enough. Oh may I then in him be found. Clothed in his righteousness alone. Faultless to stand before the throne. Can I tell you this? With Jesus Christ... It's not great disappointment. You'll be disappointed if you fix dates. With Jesus Christ, you will. You will be satisfied. And then, what do I do? I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm following him. So I'm not just sitting there waiting. I'm not looking at charts. I'm carrying on with my life. I'm going to work. I'm involved in church. I'm raising my family. I'm in the community. I'm getting on with life. But I'm living in the light of that day.
Are you? Am I? Because at any moment, he could come back. We don't know. There may not be a funeral on Tuesday. Because Jesus could come back before then. People were saying before the flood, where, where, where is the rain, Noah? People have been saying ever since Jesus' first coming, where is the promise of his second coming? Let me tell you, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. He is coming. He hasn't broken any of his promises yet. And you and I need to get ready. And may we as a church be ready. And may we seek to get people ready round about us for his name's sake. I'll finish there and we'll sing on Christ the solid rock. I stand all of the ground is sinking sand. Is this our hope? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Number 554. Thank you.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living, a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We praise thee, Father, for salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And what will be destruction for unbelievers will be final, complete redemption for those of us who are in Christ. May we all be found in him, not having our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. And now may his grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.